deep within the bowels of the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence, Rhode Island, on a bitterly cold night. He recalled the morning in May 1972 when he first auditioned for Hammond in Hammond's office at Columbia Records in Midtown Manhattan. Although he was just 22 years old at the time and virtually unknown outside the insular music scene along the Jersey Shore, Springsteen said Hammond treated him with respect and took his music seriously from the very start. Indeed, Hammond, the same man who had discovered Bob Dylan, Aretha Franklin, and Billie Holiday, had treated him as an artist. Quite a bit of water had passed under the bridge in the ensuing thirty years, but Springsteen's recollections of Hammond were vivid and personal. He clearly enjoyed digging back into his memory to a time when he had to hustle just to get a gig in a small Greenwich Village club. In less than an hour, he and the members of his E Street band were due on stage to perform in front of another sold-out arena. His legs were thin, and his face was sort of craggy and lined. But now in his mid-fifties, he was still wiry and athletic. And intense. Relaxed and friendly. But always intense. Sitting forward with his elbows on his knees, his hands clasped tightly in front of him, Springsteen threw himself into his memories of his old friend and mentor. It was rather touching. Laughing, he did imitations. Nearly everyone who ever met John Hammond has his or her own version. That's marvelous, marvelous, Bruce, he mimicked in Hammond's signature Brahmin accent. He also described a kindly protective figure in a business known for predators. I always felt that my music was safe with him. Springsteen recalled. It was just a wonderful way to be introduced to the music business. If there's anything like it today, and I don't think there is anymore, I would wish it on anyone who was just getting started like I was. Springsteen was touring in support of his latest album, The Rising, whose songs were written in the aftermath of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, and whose themes reflected an angry, confused, but still hopeful nation. The album served as a sort of rock-and-roll salve for a nation in shock. Few popular artists could have attempted such a sensitive mission, that of embracing unspeakable and unprecedented tragedy within the context of celebratory rock and roll, without coming off as either exploitative or simply maudlin. Springsteen pulled it off with a plum. Despite its potentially limited commercial appeal given its often raw subject matter. The Rising was clearly an album Springsteen felt he had to make. In other words, it was exactly the kind of album John Hammond would have appreciated. Certainly that passion for writing and performing songs that express universal experiences through a personal and singular point of view was one of the characteristics that Hammond found compelling in Springsteen more than thirty years ago. The roster of artists with whom Hammond is most closely associated is staggering, not only for the success of the figures on it, but for the diversity of their talents. All of them might fairly be recognized as geniuses in some form or another, but their talents were expressed in markedly different ways. For instance, Charlie Christian was a prodigy, almost savant-like in his ability to play a guitar unlike anyone who had ever played it before. Hammond recognized that and made certain millions of jazz fans got the opportunity to hear Christian play. 
Yet the genius that has inspired Bob Dylan, and Bruce Springsteen for that matter, is far more subtle and subjective. Not nearly as obvious as a guitar player with brilliant chops. But when Hammond saw it, raw and unpolished as it was with Dylan in September 1961, and again with Springsteen more than a decade later, he recognized it immediately and promptly set about ensuring that others heard it. Many of the figures on that list have emerged as icons of the past century, their renown reaching far beyond the popular music realm in which they first became famous. For Americans of the World War II generation, the music of Benny Goodman and Count Basie was as ubiquitous as advertisements for war bonds, and the swing jazz they played was seen as a symbol of America's blustery freedoms. A generation later, the music of Aretha Franklin, Bob Dylan, and Bruce Springsteen has similarly become a part of the American landscape.